0: Prodigal, as we left off last week, and we're just going to pick right up in the 15th chapter here, Prodigal had, he lost everything. He, had, he was the picture of a person completely devastated and broken, when he, when he comes to a point in verse 17, where it says, "He came to himself, we talked about this in the weeks past, and how in that place of brokenness, he came to a point of decision. And he made a resolve. He decided that as bad as it was, as bad as it had become, and as humbling as it would be, he was going to make his way back home, he was going to make that journey home down that road. And he was going to, when he got to his father, tell him something. He had, a, he had in his mind, we're told here, two things that he was going to do, He kind of a, a two-piece speech that he was going to give, it was almost a prayer. He was going to, te- it was really, he had a confession attached to it and it had a request. He had made up his mind that he was going to, when he got back home, tell his father that he, had sinned. He, that he had sinned against him and against heaven, against God. And he was going to say, I'll tell him that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he had a second part to it that he was planning on making a request. And he says, all I'm going to ask of him is to let me be a servant in his house. Hired servant. We'll talk about that in a moment. Jesus says, the boy made his way home. It says, while well, he was a great way, way off, and we talked about this, that his father saw him, Jesus says. And the picture Jesus gives us, this is an old, this kind of, I, at least I imagine it, an older man pulling up his robes, and it says that he began to run. And he began to run to his son, who he recognized from a distance, that solitary figure who was a broken <laughs> reflection of what he had been, a fragment of what he was left with as compared to what he had left and now he's coming home, broken, beaten, skinny as a rail, dirty. Father says, he runs to him, he he gets to him, Jesus says, He puts his arms around him, the phrase falls on his neck, he he has compassion on him, and he starts to kiss him. And he tells him, I love you, son. And there's this beautiful moment that Jesus captures of a father without any regard to his own dignity, running to his son who's coming home and taking him and, and just blessing him with everything he has. And of course, that's part of the picture that we've been looking at as well, that Rembrandt captured this idea of the, in the return of the prodigal. But one of the things that's interesting is that as Jesus says it, he says, you know, the prodigal then starts to, after this moment where he's just being loved on and hugged on and told how much he's welcomed back, the prodigal then begins to go, go forward with his plan. Remember, he makes his confession. He says, Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. And honestly, I'm not worthy to be your son. I get that. And he's about to go on, and he's, he's interrupted. He doesn't get to get, put the second piece out. He doesn't get to say, because before he can get out of, out of his mouth, the father says... Bring out the get get the robe get the robe get the robe and bring it the best one and get the get the ring and the, and 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 before he can do anything Jesus says that the father interrupts him and says grab it all and bring it and he remember now in prodigal's mind he had planned on saying what he had said I want you to make me as a hired servant that was his in his plan now he could have used. He could have used um, a number of words, Jesus, but he used that word. Now, we listen to a servant and we go, oh, well, you know, sir, what is this? all servants are the same. Well, actually, in, in Jesus' day, that wasn't the case. And the Greek word here that is used, which the original New Testament is written in, captures the point with great effectiveness. Because what Prodigal had intended to ask his father was, would you make me a mythios," which, which has to do with the idea of a day wage earner. It, it, It was someone who in contrast to a bond servant who was a bond servant would have been attached to a household, sometimes was born into a household, was almost an extended part of the family, certainly a part of the community. But a a day laborer, a hired servant was someone who could be dismissed without any reason necessarily. Um, They had no, listen, there was no expectation of permanency. So it is the picture of prodigal in his mind, he's coming and he's, gonna, he's saying, I'm just gonna go back. And he has a very mild, small expectation. He is, he's saying, I, I just wanna know if you can give me a job. And I have no expectation beyond that. I'm not even asking to have any, um, you know, any, how you say, entitlement. Uh, I have no expectation of you somehow giving me an opportunity to be more than I should be. I know I've blown this. All I'm asking is the possibility that you—that was what he's thinking, right? He's because why? What is driving him? I'm not worthy to be your son. What is driving him is he's thinking I'm just going to ask him if he'll let me be a hired servant, a day laborer, someone who could be dismissed at any time, and that's all I want. I just want to—I just want to have a job. I don't have any expectations. So his. He's got really small expectations but before he can even get it out of his lips, the father is interrupting him and saying, I don't want to talk. Get the robe. Get the robe. The robe. The best robe. Not just in it. Get the the good one. The one that's meant for the special guest. That one. You get it and you bring it. And you place it on my boy. And get the ring. The ring that speaks about what? Authority. That you're part of this family. You're fully restored as my son. And get the I said royal sandals. It doesn't say royal sandals. I just like the way that R's rolled out, you know, a ring, a robe, royal sandals. So it really just says sandals, but it wasn't really royal sandals. But it sounds good, right? I mean, the royal sandals, get the, but the, but, by the but sandals actually were a big deal. We look at, you know, the, all of us here, I'm, I'm gonna take a risk and say, I think we all have more than one pair of shoes. It's true. And if you don't have any and you wanna pick some up, there's always some on the corner uh, that you can pick up. Yeah. What, my point is this, everybody has shoes. We have them, and you can get them anywhere. In fact, if anything, it's almost impossible for us to appreciate what a shoe meant, what a sandal meant in Jesus' day. Even in that day, in the Roman period, it was understood that slaves and the lowest rung of the servants didn't have shoes. That what we take for granted in our culture which is a which is a way of, of protecting oneself in that period from a variety of things it was a, it had something of a statement of a st- point of status and well-being and one's poverty was also connotated by a lack of shoes and when the father says and that's by the way why when Rembrandt pictures the the prodigal coming home <clears throat> notice one of the things that he really has a zero in on in his portrayal of that moment is his feet and on those feet, you'll notice one sandal is completely off and the other one's just half it's tattered. It's a picture of brokenness. And so when the father says, bring out the robe, when the father, father says, bring out the ring, when the father says, "And oh, don't stop there, you get the robe and the, and the ring and bring out the sandals and you put them on. Look, he's thinking he's only going to be, be um, he, his, his anticipation is, can I, I'm hoping I can get a job. He understands that he had cast everything in. It's almost like he had signed a contract and said, look, I understand, you give me my money ahead of time, I get this, this is brother's house now, I know I normally wouldn't get this money until you die, but I'm asking you to break with tradition, give me my inheritance on the front end, I'm signing off now, I know what I'm doing, I don't wanna be here anymore, I need to go. If you give me my money, I'm on my way. That's what he had done. So when he comes back, he understands. He had signed off on his expectations. He really, truly, this is not, Jesus is not implying that somehow he's being pretentious and manipulative, that somehow he's just kind of faking it by saying, yeah, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. No, it is sincere. And the intention was only to ask to be hired on as a day servant. Period. A hired servant. Square meal and a job. I get it. This is brother's house. You've owed me Nothing. And you know what? If Prodigal was like a lot of us, well, I think he is, if he's like a lot of us, he probably would have felt initially uncomfortable with the amount of, of blessing that was being thrown on him. Because truly there was a feeling that he had in his heart of being unworthy. And a lot of times when we feel guilty of something, when we know we've done something wrong that we're, we're hoping just to be forgiven, to have mercy would be enough. But then the idea of someone coming and refusing even to let us finish what we wanted to say because they're so happy to see us back and they bless us in such a, an overwhelming fashion that there's an, an initial intent. He pro, I can imagine prodigal saying like, Father, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Look, maybe you should put me on probation. Maybe, maybe, maybe... Maybe I need to earn my way back and show you and show you that I've, I've somehow got it. You know, I, I feel uncomfortable. I was arrogant. I was proud. I was willful. I took, I took our money, everything. I, I wasted it all. You don't even know how I spent it. I spent it on things, but bad things. I'm, I'm ashamed. I don't even know what to tell you. I got nothing. See that's again the picture that when when he's when he's captured in that total sense of shame just leaning in it's like I'm a picture of a broken guy I got a broken boy I've got nothing left I have nothing left surely surely you want me to prove myself maybe start out demonstrating that you know I'm uh, I i do not I just want to be hired on that's you know that initial feeling maybe if he's like us, I should do penance. i should, I got to do something to, to make it up. I, I feel uncomfortable with being, being blessed after what I've done. You see that? And, and again, I, it, it comes out so clearly. In fact, I was, I was looking um, at this passage, and I was reminded about this tendency on our part to, to sometimes feel uncomfortable with our forgiveness and sometimes to feel better if we can actually do something to, to demonstrate that we're really sorry, maybe even, even so like we're punishing ourselves, this idea of penance sometimes, right? I was thinking about that film. It was about 20 years ago that the film came out. It, Robert De Niro was in it. It was called The Mission. Whenever I think of penance, I always think of that film because there's a part in that film. A, the story is, is a fantastic story, and it's an amazing portrayal, of a broken, broken man. De Niro plays uh, Rodrigo Mendoza. He's a slave trader. He's a fierce, powerful man, and in the film, he's he's pretty cruel. And uh, he hunts and pursues the tribesmen in South America, the, the the villagers, and there's a priest there who who has a mission, and he he wants, these two are at odds because he's, protect, he's trying to protect and work with the people and, and his adversary is Rodrigo at some level because this man is brutal and callous and he's angry. And, he's, and De Niro really portrays him in that way. He's callous. And yet there's this moment, he has actually a soft spot in his life and it has to do with his brother and he loves his brother, his younger brother. But in a moment of anger over something that occurs. It was actually an argument over a woman. He, in his pride and his anger, he slays his brother. And after he does it, he's so broken and he's so guilt-ridden that he becomes just the picture of this tragic figure who just feels like he is an irredeemable, worthless person. And so that same priest who who's been working with the, the, the natives and the tribes and who has not had good feelings at all towards him, decides that he's going to work with him and, and there's this really memorable part of the film where, and it's long, where De Niro is just, he's got this um, rope and this rope is tied to this large net and in this net is all the, the vestiges of, of who he was. His armor, his weaponry, his swords, it's just all in this giant pile and he's, he's carrying it up this mountain, up to where the village is, up on the, where the mission is. And he's this picture of a man just carrying the weight of his past with him. It, it really is a powerful image. Of how our past can hold us and bring us down and and there's this, even this moment where he falls back and you can just see it's like our past pulling us back and and then he gets to the top of the mountain and something happens something powerful and and um rather than me explain i'm just going to show we're going to show you the clip in a condensed form okay the mission very powerful piece conveying something of what it means to be forgiven. What's amazing about that is that, you know, the, the ones who cut the rope are actually the ones that he had been pursuing. It's fascinating to see that. There's a lot of elements there about how, how it, it, is, it wasn't even the fact that he was carrying it as much as it was, it was cut from. I mean, in many ways, it's a picture of exactly what the Lord has done for us in the cutting and in a sense he was wounded he was and the the idea of the of the baggage of our past and the sin of our past the shame of our past falling into the waters you think you see a picture also of what it means to follow christ as it were into baptism and to start something new to be released from something there's so many things there the power of the one who wounded forgiving there's this idea of redemption and new beginning many images stand out there. You can connect with them at a number of different levels. The the music itself is compelling. And certainly that last scene when he is, when Rodrigo is being embraced and loved in his absolute brokenness, that that, it it really does remind me of prodigal just being embraced in his shame. It is a great picture of how God loves us. And yet the image of of him having to work his way up that mountain, carry that baggage. It's also vivid. He is doing penance. And you know what? When you contrast what he does in the mission with how Jesus says the father treats his returning lost son, it really is a marked contrast. I mean, there is no penance. When we look at this, there's no penance to be done. There's no negotiations. There's no probations. There's no, listen, son, you're going to, this is what we'll do. You, you're going to work your way back. We'll start you off. You see how it goes as a hired servant. If you do well, if you show a right attitude, we'll get you back up there. And then maybe over time, who knows, I don't want to close the door, but I'm not going to say anything about it right now. You're going to have to prove it. And th- this idea of somehow you show me, you earn it back. And the point is that Jesus is giving us this amazing picture Of a love that overwhelms our shame. That's what he is saying. And the most amazing, yeah, yeah, it's true. And what it really requires, listen, it requires us to surrender our claim, really. It, It requires us to surrender to its claim as one loved and forgiven, apart from anything that we can do. Really, I mean, Jesus intentionally does it. Yeah, we have to return to experience His love. We have to come home. There's no question about it. The prodigal son makes his way home. Yes, there is something about acknowledging our wrong. When He gets there, He does say, Father, I, I have sinned. I have been wrong. I, I need forgiveness. There is that acknowledgement. But what Jesus is really teaching us is that, and, and honestly, it was for His critics too. Remember? The people who were saying, You know, how can you be with these? these bad people, these outsiders, why, why are you including them in the circle of God's concern? And it was like Jesus saying, because you don't understand God, and you don't understand how much He cares, and what His love really is like. And this is the point here. It's like He's saying, life with God is all about grace. It's not earned. He purposefully says, shows us the Father embracing Him apart from anything He's done. It's the picture It's the picture of someone who didn't deserve anything. And it's a reminder for all of us that we never never can work our way really into God's favor. It's not us being good enough, showing our credentials. It's about us being open to what God wants to do in our lives. It requires us then to humble ourselves, listen, and see ourselves as he sees us. The apostle Paul, and that sometimes is harder. It might actually sometimes be easier if someone says, well, just go do these things and come back and and you're okay but jesus doesn't say that he says what i want you to do is surrender to my love and you receive my word over you and know and know that you are my son and you are my daughter apart from anything you could do to earn it that is why paul noticed that there's this the, this awesome passage in Ephesians, Paul, who himself was fully aware he had been a persecutor himself, he writes these word, no, words, notice, but God, who just see it, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which, with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, lost in our trespasses and shortcomings and sins, God has made us alive together with Christ, for by grace, he says, we have been saved. And he's not only has he saved us, by His grace. And what does that mean? Grace is a gift. It means that we didn't do anything to deserve it. It says, Paul goes on to say, not only has God saved us, not because we deserved it, but because he loves us, but he says what's more, he has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, which is a really eloquent way of saying, God is doing an eternal thing in our lives, it's not just about saving us and forgiving us, it's about what he's expanding in our lives, it's a big picture thing, he says, it's amazing when you really understand it, and he concludes by saying, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And notice, it's not of yourselves. You didn't earn this. Paul says, I didn't earn it. It is a gift. You cannot earn a gift. The gift is given. It is a gift, not of works, he says, lest any of us should boast that somehow we made ourselves worthy enough to deserve it. This is exactly what the Lord is getting at here in this beautiful parable. Going back to our story, the Father says, Son, I restore you not because, why? Not because you've earned it, but because you've come home. And I delight to do it. I delight to do it. So stop, get the the calf, bring the calf the fatted one, the one that we were preparing for the special meal. You get that ready because we're going to have a celebrate. My son, he was dead. He's alive. I want, I want us to rejoice. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I want us to have a party. I want us to be merry and celebrate because my son who was dead, he's alive. He's alive. And he was lost and he's found. And I'm so happy. Let's celebrate. That's the picture that Jesus gives. It's got passion. It's got life. And it's, it's so meaningful because it reminds us of things that we really foundationally, we need to hold these things deeply. Let me, let me try to say, put it into words what I'm trying to get at as we close here. I'm going to suggest that you and I, one of the things we learn from this story is that we have to be willing to accept God's forgiveness even when we feel unworthy. <laughs> Some of us, we are Rodrigo. We are carrying stuff. We are carrying stuff. We are trying to earn this back. We are somehow trying. It haunts us. Our past is a heavy weight on us. And and again, one of the images in that clip that is it to me powerful is when he can't get. It. He falls back. It's like the stuff of our past comes back on us, pulls us. You know, there. Are, look, we. We have to lay our burden, our shame, at the feet of the cross. We, have, we really do. We have to quit trying to carry something. We need to let it be. We need to let it go. We have a savior. And, and, and we need to determine to live as one forgiven. But Father, I I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. It's not about you being worthy. You are forgiven. You are loved. Uh, and he kisses him. I love you. You need to receive that, and that's the second piece of this: is that we need to we need to find our identity not in how we feel, but in who he says we are. We may feel like a hired servant. That's all I really feel like I should be. He says, "But you're my son, and you're my daughter." But I, look what I've done. It's not about what you've done. It's about who I am and what you mean to me. See, that was the point. They were saying, but look at what these people have done. And Jesus was saying, you missed the point. He loves them. I love them. And this was this powerful movement. And that's what is propelling the story. And by the way, I might add something here. We may not always want to live as one fully restored. I have noted that some of us can find it easier to live as one wounded than one restored. And I I can tell you now, after the numbers of years of interacting with people and trying to help people in my own journey also with God, trying to help people get past things, offenses, points of wounding, anger, deep, deep anger, feelings of great insecurity, guilt about our past, that we can become Comfortable in our woundedness. To a point where we say, well, I don't want, I'm I'm not son, I'm i I'm, 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 a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you see, I don't, I'm not comfortable. It's easier to play the martyr. There are, there are, there are times where it actually is scary to let it go. Because it requires us accepting who he says we are. Not a victim, but a son or daughter loved. And as we begin to embrace that fully, and as it were, let the Father kiss us. And I mean in the, in the beautiful way that Jesus describes it, saying, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Not because of anything you've done. But I don't, we don't always feel comfortable. I've, I've, wa- I've watched people, and honestly, it's the truth, more comfortable pr- projecting the wounded person than beginning to say I am loved by as by the Father. I have more comfortable saying I'm unworthy. I'm more uncomfortable saying I just want to be a higher servant, but because a son or a daughter calls me up to something. And I don't know if I want to let go. Even though I hate it, I don't know if I want to let it go. Because I'm I've owned that. That's me. You see, and there's a part of what Jesus is getting at is that you need we need to see ourselves as he sees us. Come here. You are loved by the Father. I don't want to hear it. I don't want it. You are my son. You might see, that's the point. That's the point. Why shouldn't I do something? No. What I want you to do is rejoice. And that's the last piece here. That we need to choose to yield to the joy of his forgiveness. So what are you talking about? Well, hey, we must look at look at the the way it ends merriment feasting happy celebration this is what the father calls for he doesn't say oh let's all have a counseling session to try to work through prodigal and make sure he really owns and understands exactly what he's done so that we can make sure that justice is meted out appropriately Let's bring the older brother, brother, bring your brother in, we'll have a family count. No, he can't help. The first thing he says is, we're going to celebrate. We are going to have a, party. No, you know what? It was not a time for restrained, reserve, caution, no need to hold back. You laugh, you smile, you be happy, eat, drink, let's be merry because today we live. See, what is Jesus saying? God is an unrestrained forgiver. Jesus is... I wouldn't have done it. Jesus did it. He says, God is a party thrower. That's the picture. That is the, the best sense, obviously, of the word. In good taste, of course. But nonetheless, Jesus says, God is a party thrower. Let us have a celebration. Let us rejoice. Let joy fill this house. Why? Because my son... He was dead. He's alive. Um, th- by the way, when, you, when a party's thrown for you, you're not supposed to walk around with a dour disposition when you're the point of the party. <laughs> it's like, son, you got to smile. Let my joy fill you. Let my joy fill you. This party is about you. So there's no room here. There's no room here. Whatever was is gone. You you live in the joy of this moment, and I can't help but seeing God saying that to us. so much. I know we got stuff. We can always have reasons to be dis- discouraged, to get angry, to live as one wounded, but it's like the Lord says, "Do you really understand what it means to live as one loved? It means that we live close to a joy that is always before us. It's like God threw a party for us. It says, "You know who you are to me. You're my son, and you're my daughter." live listen you don't have to somehow live in such a way that you get the designation live because that's who you are to me you see that it's not about earning the privilege of being a son or being a daughter it's about living in a way that flows out of who he says we are and that's powerful it's like it's like the lord is saying to us you don't earn this You get to, it's not living to get this, uh, to get accepted back. It's about you're accepted back, and now I want you to live. It's a whole different deal. It's a, it's a, well, I'm not going to, so I got it. Somehow, you know, if I can earn this back and get your approval as my son, right? He said, no, you are my son and you are my daughter, so live up to that. But God wants us to live up to what he says we are. Not to get it, but because he says this is what we are. It's a big difference. Lord. I pray this late morning now moving into our afternoon that the truth and the essence of what we've explored together would be, would be planted into our heart in a deep and profound fashion. I, I really ask you, Lord, to keep working in our lives, God. Um, keep reminding us, just like you did, of what a beautiful thing it is to be called a son and a daughter, to be open to you, Lord, to not have to earn our way, Lord, not to have to carry our load up a mountain, God but to be able to yield to the joy that you have for us, God, to be able to to surrender things to you, to surrender to your claim over our lives, Lord. Not to live out our lives in such a way that we try to make ourselves good enough to be called your son or good enough to be called your daughter, but that because you call us that, and because you love us, we in turn want to live that way. And And Lord, how we see ourselves matters. Because it affects how we love and how we commit and it affects, Lord, how we get past things and how we let things go and how we heal and how we are healers. And I know that's what you've called us to, Lord. And it starts by understanding who we are in you. And so I just pray that you would continue to remind us of these things. Let us not run quickly past them. I pray that you'd bless our closing minutes here, Lord as we think about what it means to live as one in your arms, God. And I pray you bless our time of giving as well. May we honor you in this healing community for the glory of the King. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.